This is Brian Bellick. I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coaches Show podcast. Here we go. Well, things have kind of come into focus, Denny. It's going to be a fascinating last weekend. The AFC is set, except for the seedings. So obviously that still has a little bit of play. Most of the drama, of course, is in the NFC, where we still have some potential. The Seahawks look pretty solid at 10-5. and The Vikings have put them in a position, Selfs in a position, after beating Houston, where we have the Bears, the Cowboys, and the Giants. The Giants being on the back end, they need uh, both the Cowboys and the or excuse me, the Bears and the Vikings to lose, right. uh, which very well happened. So let's let's start with that in the NFC and talk about some of the things that went on over the weekend. Uh, the Falcons, I thought, won impressively on Saturday against Detroit and maybe solidified a little bit more rethinking about how good they are with the number one seed. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know what? I, I think, you know, they, they got a couple losses. They weren't necessarily pretty losses, and so there was reason to think, well, maybe they're a little bit of a flash. But I don't think so. I mean, they really look solid. Um, they can put points on the board. Matt Ryan looks good, looks like he's matured, and I think he's definitely ready to, to move into that next level. Uh, they have figured out that if we can get the ball to turn, it makes it a little bit easier. And and the receiving core, I mean, you know, geez. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty impressive. I mean, they can really make things happen at the receiving core. And so they, all of a sudden, you know, they look like they are a legitimate best team, you know, in the, in, in the NFC. And I think they are a legitimate, as you can see them coveting the number one spot, because they are a better team at home. The other number one team, the Houston Texans in the AFC, I don't know can lay claim to that kind of dominance at home. But when it comes to Atlanta, I think even though you got some teams playing very well right now, the Packers are on top of the world. Seattle's playing hard. I did the, the Washington Redskins game. They're feeling good about themselves. Everybody in the NFC who's in the hunt uh, or currently and has got to feel good about themselves. But I think that home field advantage for the Falcons is something very, very real, as it is for the Packers who are going to battle. They've got the, uh, the uh, Minnesota Vikings this weekend, and you know Minnesota's got a win to get in. But that's not going to be an easy out because the Packers clearly want to hold on, at the very least, to that number two seed, which means at least after the bye that uh, whoever comes to town has to come through Lambeau Field. Yeah, and I think that's important to them. As they look at it, I mean, they need to play two games at home and then, you know, uh, or, or at least one. And then when they go on the road, if it is at Atlanta, figure we just have to outplay them. But they do not want to be on the road anywhere else. And and so that's going to be reason for them to play. Now, how good are they? Well, you know, they got Clay Matthews back, and, and I think he looked solid in his return. Uh, they have been getting bits and pieces of the receiving core back. They've continued to win, you know, despite not being a very healthy team in the line and even a, even in the receiving. And I think for, for them, they, they got a very impressive 11-4 with the injuries that they've had. But I don't think any team really, even in the AFC, and there are some impressive teams there that have been as dominant at home as Atlanta's been. Let, let's, let me back up one second. Let's talk a little bit about, because clearly Green Bay has something to play for because that seeding does make a difference. Atlanta's done. Let's talk about what Mike Smith does this week in that no matter what they do this last week against Tampa Bay, but obviously they, they're all about winning in the playoffs. They have not done that yet. They've been in this position a couple times. So I know Mike Smith is really looking at, well, whatever we did before, let's do something else. Let's talk about how you hold a team together and how much he should think about playing his starters 
in this last game against Tampa Bay? Well, I mean, I, I think that there's all kind of ways to do it. I, I just think most guys that have done well just say, just keep going. You know, just keep going. And, and uh, I mean, don't, don't pull the plug. Uh, there's no tried and true guaranteed way, uh, you know, because any way that you try, if it works, that was the right way to do it. Tampa's not a very impressive team, and I don't know how uh, all out Tampa will be this week. And when a team has lost as many games as they've lost in the last six or seven weeks, many times the players just want at the end and start over again. And I think as a, with a new head coach, as Yano, I'm sure, is a little bit surprised right now. He felt that he had a rugged team, a team that could go out and play and play hard, but it hasn't quite happened that way. So I, I think Atlanta probably just goes out and, and just plays it. I don't see him saying that, Matt Ryan, I don't want you throwing the ball to Julio and, and I, I'm worrying about Roddy getting hurt. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they'll just go out. Now, will they pull him? I think they'll pull him. I don't think there's there's no reason to go have these guys play the whole ball game, but uh, but I think they'll go and, and play and just figure that, hey, we're going to do what we've been doing. And that's the course of action I would advocate is that I would tell my team, look, you you prepare for the game. And I'll tell you whether you're coming out or not, but don't try to guess, guess me out here. <laughs> don't you try to think, oh, he'll pull me after a series or he'll pull me after a quarter. For instance, a Roddy White. I know Roddy White wants to play because he's got a consecutive game streak going. But by the same token, I want them to – to prepare this week as though they're going to play. I don't want to go three weeks and, and them not really being in a substantive preparation mode. So you prepare as though you're going to play the whole game, and I pull you when I want to pull you. And then whether it's a quarter or a series, however you want to do it, you want to pull a Matt Ryan, you want to pull a Roddy White, who doesn't look 100%. He looked pretty good the other night against Detroit, but you can tell he doesn't have quite that same burst that he's had, and he will get that back, so that's obviously good. Uh, but I agree with you 100%. You guys prepare. I'll tell you when you're coming out, and, and don't give me any argument about it when I do tell you to go. Yeah, and then Mike will discuss it with the assistant coaches. They'll have a plan, and, and then it'll be key for them to execute that plan regardless of what the score is. Six-time pro bowler David Akers, NFL record 44 field goals last year, struggling this year. He's missed 10. Snap, placement, kick, blocked! Picked up by the Seahawks! We got a foot race near left side. It's Sherman. 40. He's going to win this race. He's gone. Touchdown, Seattle. Obviously, the 49ers, that was, and let's talk about that game a little bit. I, uh, we talked last week. I was a little concerned about how, how the 49ers emotionally would show up after having gone cross country, beaten the New England Patriots in an oppressive way. Um, then have to go on the road again, all but Seattle. And, and how they would play under that circumstance back-to-back. And, boy, you could see it. They just were not – Seattle was such a physical, impassioned team. The 49ers just didn't look like they were engaged at all. And they weren't. And you know what? That's really kind of the unfairness in, in scheduling because you really shouldn't have that kind of schedule. R- rarely should you have to go travel a lot. for. Ba- I mean, it's one thing to go from, you know, San Francisco to – you know, San Diego, or, I mean, or, or, the, or Arizona or somewhere, but to go up all the way to Seattle after already been on the East Coast and then playing another night game, you know, a high-profile game, that, that doesn't happen very often, you know. And so uh, I just think that they were out-hit. They were really obviously out-hustled. There was no doubt about that. And Seattle's impressive. They look fresh. I mean, you know, they're, they're young. There's no doubt about that. They're young defensively. There's no doubt about that, but they look like they're rapidly getting better, and and they're you know physical. They can run. They can run the ball, which we know. And then you've got you know Russell Wilson playing extremely well. They can find the receivers, and so that was a pretty impressive game that they played last night. 
And I have no doubt that the 49ers will bounce back. They were without Justin Smith. That's a big part of it. I was just shocked, and not really shocked, but but uh, kind of knowing it might go that way. But still, they the lack of physicality. And up to this point, you know, I would have said that the 49ers were the most physical team in the NFL right now. And, boy, Seattle has yanked that mantle away from them. And Seattle, I think, has become, every year we'll talk about a team that is the that one team you don't want to see in the playoffs, and I think Seattle may be that team. Yeah, and and you know at home, I mean, if they can get a home field, boy, they would they would love that, and and that would make a big difference for them. But uh, even on the road, they played better on the road this year. They played better on the road at the latter part of the season, also, and you know, and they're impressive. And so uh, you know, I think that you know some teams seem to be playing the same. Some are playing really well. Denver's another team like Seattle that's really seems to be on fire. It playing extremely well, and uh, and I think that's the kind of team that San Francisco ran into last night, a Seattle team that was playing well at this stage of the season. Yeah, and even beyond that, they're a team that, as we know, there are teams that, that play well at the right time in December, and there's teams that rarely, because by the end of the season, you figure you kind of are who you are, but there are occasionally teams that actually are getting better in December, and I think Seattle can be that team compared to the Vikings who – got to give Leslie Frazier a great deal of credit. They're currently 10-6. and six. Uh, they got a tough one. They've got to beat a what should be a motivated Green Bay Packer team, all but at home, right. in order to make their way into the playoffs. And I don't know that the Vikings are getting better, but they are playing well with a, a good formula, play good defense, run the ball. Christian Ponder still continues to be huge question marks. Can he get this thing done? Uh, particularly if it turns into a bit of a track meet, as it could this week, keeping up with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know that Christian Ponder's up to it. Well, as you know, I mean, this this is the rival game. I mean, this is this is Green Bay and Chicago going at it, and then Green Bay, as we used to call it, the border wars. You know, Wisconsin butts right up against against Minnesota. You know, my in-laws live in Hudson, Wisconsin, which is a lot closer to Minnesota than it is to Green Bay and most of the whole western part of Wisconsin. This is the border war, and this is an important game. The Vikings win. Win, that doesn't mean they go. They have a chance to go. I mean, they could go their way. They could go. If they lose, they're out. Well, Green Bay would like nothing better than to get that important win and be able to play at home. They'd also like nothing better than to knock the Vikings out. But, uh, you know, the Vikings are going to run that ball. And, and at times, Green Bay's run defense has still been suspect. Uh, there really has been. There have been some games where Adrian Peterson was unbelievable, where the Vikings were totally committed to the run and, and was like, hey, whether Christian throws it 15 or 20 times, who cares? We're going to run the ball. When they've done that, they've been able to block against eight guys in the box. I've seen them block against nine guys in the block. So I, I think that uh, that the Vikings are going to be committed to that run, and they're going to say, hey, we're going to get on the field, try to stay on the field. We're going to bang Green Bay around a lot, and if they can hold up and stop the run, then they're going to have the game. But if they can't, Aaron Rodgers' numbers of uh, plays on the field are going to be limited, and we're going to pull ourselves an upset, and it's, it's going to be pretty exciting to see. Let's uh, let's finish out the NFC East package. I had the Washington Redskins at the Eagles. They look good. I was very impressed with their ability to emotionally respond to when Philadelphia did something. Washington came right back and did the same thing. RG3 clearly not running around the way he did before. They ran none of the read option with him. They boot and waggled him outside the perimeter of the line a couple times. But you could tell, I don't know whether it was the brace or whether he's still stiff, but it was not the RG3 we thought, you know, we're used to seeing. 
but he was brilliant in the pocket. And that's this guy. He threw a, a 22-yard touchdown pass on time to Santana Moss, the corner of the end zone, that was absolute thing of beauty. Uh, and, and they have a huge game. It's been moved to Sunday night against the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys suffering a loss to, to New Orleans. I just think the Redskins are too complete a team now for the Cowboys to beat. Yeah, you know it, and, and I think it, it shows the versatility because we know with a sprained knee, you don't know how it's going to respond. You know he's not 100%. They have not said he's 100%. What they've said is that he can play on it, that he would not uh, is not at risk to re-injure it or injure himself even more, that he can be healthy enough to defend himself. So they've all gone all around it. But what they've never said is he's 100% healthy because we all know he is not. But RG is a very impressive player. Now, the, you know, the Cowboys, you know, that, that game last week, wow. Uh, the Cowboys were determined not to play any pass defense, and New Orleans was determined not to play any pass defense. I mean, the, the, the what was going on at the cornerback play and the nickel play was pretty unbelievable. And But the, the Cowboys had a chance to win it. I mean, it was all right there for them, and now they have to try it again. And uh, it's going to be tough to go on the road, play on the grass, uh, with, with the way Washington's playing lately. The comeback, Washington. Remember now, this comeback has come as a result when a lot of the people in the media misinterpreted with what Mike Shanahan said, and he just said, "Well, now that we're down, you know, we have to just be at a land line. We have nothing to be uptight about." Everybody assumed he meant now that we're out of it, we can do this. And he said, "I didn't, I didn't say that at all." And now we see that he clearly meant what he said, which is, "Hey." We can relax and get going. The only thing that can happen to us now can be worse, and it's wide open for us now. And, and I think they've been very impressive since that time. Yeah, they and defensively I was impressed to a degree. You know, they had so many injuries, because that's going to be the big question. Can the defense hold up? They've had so many injuries. Brian Arakpo, Adam Carricker, uh, Tanar Jackson at safety, Brandon Merriweather at safety. But it looks like Jim Haslam, who I think has done a great job, finally has a little bit of a feel for who he does have, what they can do, did a little bit more of the zero blitz package, the all-out pressures, and then come out and show a, a passive zone out of the same look a little bit more. So he's getting more comfortable with the people that he has around him. Um, and so this, this is something that, uh, again, I don't think they're a great defense, but they're playing better defense uh, than they were before. And, and they're clearly going to be a, a factor. I agree. You know, Dallas can make the claim, well, we didn't, we didn't lose. We just ran out of time, you know, because obviously they're, they're, they're pretty good when they want to be, and there's times they just get gassed. Let's remember how the last game on, on New Year's or on Thanksgiving Day where Washington just annihilated the Cowboys in the first half, and then the Cowboys came back in the second half. So it's going to be interesting to see which Cowboy team comes in or, indeed, can they sustain it for an entire game when everything's on the line. I'm not sure they can. Flacco to throw. Has time. Crossing pattern complete. Ray Rice, 15, 10, 5, and he's in. Touchdown, Ravens. Wow. Now, the game I have, I've got New York Giants at, or Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Giants. Giants are still alive. If only Green Bay can beat the Vikings, which is very real. If Detroit can beat the Bears, that's a possibility. But I tell you what, I was looking at the film this morning. That New York Giants team against the Baltimore Ravens team that has been really struggling offensively, that Giants team looked horrendous. Well, you know what? Defensively, they've struggled. They have not been able to apply pressure. And that was their whole thing. Apply pressure at the front four. Play a little zone behind it. Blitz a little bit, but not very much. 
forced the, the quarterback to make some bad plays because the, the offensive line is being dominated by the Giants' defensive front four. Well, right now, that's not the case. I think in reputation, they can still dominate, but they haven't quite played that well in most of the games. And so I think that's where it showed up now that the secondary has had such a hard time in covering people and uh, and making those kind of plays is because they have not been able to pressure the quarterbacks. They relied on that. And when they did, we didn't realize they had holes in the secondary. Yeah, boy, when you say holes in the secondary, that Corey Webster just got beat up on. You could tell that was the Baltimore Ravens' plan. They were going after Corey Webster. You know, to me, the whole backhand, it's a linebacker, Chase Blackburn, who's a good, solid player, Michael Boley, Corey Webster, they're just guys, you know, uh, and and with that front forward not getting the pressure that now they played without Justin Tuck, certainly. Um, Jason Pierre Paul is still a dominant player, but it doesn't look like whether with, with or without Tuck, uh, OCU in Europe, he can't beat you off the snap with that quick release. Looks like he kind of shuts it down and can't get home. Um, I don't know. This is just a suspect group that uh, you know, they could back into the playoffs. They really could. Can they beat a Philadelphia team that obviously – is everything that we've all talked about with Philadelphia and Andy Reid possibly being gone and, and a team that uh, has struggled. Looks like they're without Nick Foles, their starting quarterback. He has a hand issue, so they're going to get Michael Vick back, who's been on the bench for a while now. So what does Michael Vick look like? So the Giants look like a team that, yeah, if Green Bay beats the Vikings, which they can easily do, and if Detroit, who really was gamey against Atlanta, all but at home, uh, and, and if they're playing at home. So if Detroit can raise up and beat, you know, uh, a, still a suspect Chicago Bear team, then the Giants have a chance of, uh, of getting into the playoffs. And, boy, uh, talk about being at the right place at the right time. <laughs> well, they, we know that the potential's there. I think also it's tough to repeat. I mean, you know that. It's, you go out, you win the Super Bowl championship, you do it the hard way. They had to play outstanding football, couldn't make any mistakes, and they have any breathing room. And we're champions last year, but that becomes last year. Now it's very difficult to come out and make when you have to make particular plays. It's hard to go out and make those the next year. Josh Brown from the far hash, kicking from right to left to the close end of the stadium. Everybody seems to be set. Eight on the play clock. Good snap, good hold. Kick is on its way. End over end. Toward the goal post, it is good! And the Cincinnati Bengals, with four seconds to play, here in the fourth quarter, have taken the lead. It's 13-10. to Let's just touch on the AFC a little bit. I think the the most interesting of all of it is the Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Bengals were able to overcome the stigma of having not been able to beat Pittsburgh um, forever. Uh, the half fact that they've been struggled so much in the con- or in the division against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, they they, they have clinched a, a wild card spot. And but they're playing a Ravens team. I don't know how much is at stake in terms of playing a Ravens team that has also clinched uh, the division and clinched obviously the playoffs. But the fact that Pittsburgh has struggled so the last four or five games and not be able to pull this together, um, what do we make of Pittsburgh? Well, I think it, it shows you that they're, they're a little bit off. I mean, it hasn't been a great year. They've not had that running attack that they really need. Uh, they have not been consistent down the field. Uh, you know, Roethlisberger was injured. He's come back. He's been pressing since he's come back. They're working with a new offensive coordinator. They've made a lot of calls, you know, whether it be, you know, replacing uh, Bruce Arians with with, – 
Todd Haley, they've made a lot of calls, and sometimes you make a lot of calls and they don't go the way you expect them to go, and and this has not. This is not what they expected. They, they expected to still be that kind of dominant team. Uh, they have not. They have not been that at all. I think that Roethlisberger coming back, they were hoping that he would, uh, you know, take off where he did before, but forgetting kind of that he's struggled a little bit all year, that he's never really been in a good rhythm, you know, with the with the new system, the new offensive coordinator, and the way they're doing things. And I think it finally caught up to him in that uh, Cincinnati made some mistakes, but Cincinnati still uh, can make some big plays. Uh, Dalton's been a solid quarterback. And uh, I, I think that uh, since he finally got one, and they got one when it really counted because it, it's what they've always wanted to do. If we, if we can beat Pittsburgh, we can get the playoffs. I mean, that's the, the road to the playoffs for Cincinnati always goes through Pittsburgh. This is a case here where it worked for them in their favor. Yeah, there were a couple of calls in that game, and Marvin Lewis after the game said, hey, my team covered me because I, I made a mistake. He went for it on a fourth and 22. Uh, and missed a 56-yard field goal. That fourth and 22, he passed up a 50-yard field goal attempt. Uh, at fourth and 22, that's, that's unless you're the Baltimore Ravens playing the San Diego Chargers, that's kind of a tall order. Uh, and, I, and my take on it was it was kind of an emotional response to just what we were talking about, that Cincinnati had so struggled with Pittsburgh, he was just almost out of a desperation trying to find something to hang their hat on to, to change the tide, and it almost came back and bit him, but uh, ultimately they were able to hold on and get the win. Yeah, and, you know, I think what's unusual with Marvin being a former defensive coordinator, defensive coach his whole life, I mean, you, you, you operate really off of that. Let's punt it down there, get that thing pinned down inside the five-yard line, stop him cold right there, get a punt return back about the 45-yard line, taking him from there. You don't really operate on guesswork. Fourth and 22 is guesswork. you got to be lucky to pick it up. 56-yard field goal in Heinz Field is also guesswork. You have to be lucky to make it. Yeah, interesting calls. And I'll, I'll be – I don't know that, that the Cincinnati-Baltimore Ravens game this weekend is going to – we're going to learn anything more about these two teams. Depends on then now have, if they get into the playoffs, what kind of damage they're able to do. You know, Baltimore could be that team as good as they looked the other night. I still think they're suspect defensively, even though – the New York Giants could do nothing against that defense. But if they can get, if, if indeed Ray Lewis comes back and is healthy, uh, they get Jimmy Smith back at corner. Uh, if they get a few people back, then Baltimore could all of a sudden end up being that team at the right place at the right time that gets good. And now getting used to Jim Caldwell as the offensive coordinator, they could be a real threat in the playoffs. Yeah, they could be. I mean, now keep in mind, I know we, we beat on the Giants a little bit, but they have lost five out of seven games, so they've established that it is not that kind of a year. The You know, sometimes the, the, the Baltimore says we need somebody that's struggling like us. I mean, we're struggling, absolutely. We need to play somebody else who's struggling and then just see who struggles least in the game, and that was the case. For, for Baltimore to rack up 533 yards, that is by far the most productive game that they had. So they found a defense that was struggling, an offense that was struggling. They jumped on them, and uh, I think it gave them a little bit of a boost. Now, how far can they go with it? Well, you know, they should keep the pedal down because they did not play a few games this year. And if they do that, then then they should be in a position, you know, to, to jump out there and, and win the ball game simply because Cincinnati doesn't have to have Cincinnati's in the playoffs now. So I think if Baltimore says let's go all out, 
And, I mean, let's play with this new coordinator that we've got in Jim Caldwell. Um, you know, we do have something to lose, which is that we can lose a little bit of momentum that we're trying to build up. Cincinnati says, Ren, then they might get a back-to-back game, another 450-500 type game. And if that happens, then they could be a dangerous team. But I think if they relax and say, okay, we made the playoffs, we stopped that losing streak we're on, then I think they're going to have trouble restarting it. Yeah, and I, I, as you know, I live here in the Mid-Atlantic, and, and that's always interesting. I mean, from week to week, our life in the NFL is all week to week. Last week, they want Joe Flacco gone. They want him run out, <laughs> run back to Delaware, and now they want to slam dunk him in the Hall of Fame. You know, it, it's amazing how from week to week, obviously the fortunes of what you've done. To uh, Bruce, um, He's the first call I called and told him of my uh, my circumstances and asked him if he would lead this team and this ball club and this organization and take over the reins. And what a masterful, masterful job you did, Bruce. Let's talk finally in the AFC about yeah, a really great story. The Indianapolis Colts, obviously, and all they've done looks like Chuck Pagano is going to be allowed to come back to work this last week and go with Indy as far as they want to go in the playoffs. Let's talk about how they orchestrate a Chuck Pagano coming back now as the head coach with Bruce Arians, who's done such a tremendous job in his absence. Let's talk about how they orchestrate that. Well, I think the big thing is, you know, with with uh, Chuck coming back, and they, they had said earlier that he would not be back and that uh, – he was doing a great job. He was healing up very well. He was doing a, a, the battle like like no one else could do it because he is, you know, such a brave guy and everything. But they said that he would not be back on the sideline. He might be able to get back to the office. And then when it became apparent, he was doing better than even anyone suspected. So now I think everybody keeps doing their job. I mean, I, it just becomes one more guy. The number one thing the head coach should do anyway is make sure that everybody else can do their job. And so Bruce Arians will still be the offensive coordinator. He'll still be calling the plays for the game. Uh, Chuck says he doesn't want to get in the way of anything that's been established already. And uh, I think so his role will. And and also he's not going to work unlimited hours. I mean, he's going to work a a limited amount of hours. He's going to have to make sure he still continues with his diet, all those other things. So he's going to be making sure he's taking care of himself and doing anything he can to help the team, and then he's going to allow the offense and defensive guys and special teams to keep doing what they've been doing. Yeah, as you said, the doctors have made it clear they don't want him to over-fatigue himself. And the last thing Chuck wants to do is come in and upset a rhythm that's been pretty good. And uh, uh, I, I'd even, I could even see maybe Chuck doing the game from the booth and let them continue. They're used to the regiment they have right now. Bruce's Arians, the interim head coach and the offensive coordinator, still on the field. Right. Chuck certainly be the guy to make those pivotal decisions communicating down to the sideline. I would be concerned about having Chuck there on the sideline for three full hours thinking he can now step back into that stressful environment. He can still impact the game, be a head coach in terms of those decisions, but it might be better for him to do it from the booth. Yeah, it might be, and I don't, I don't know if that'd be a case. You know, last year when I was coaching UFL, I got, I got hit two times. You know, I coached thirty-five years and never got run over at all. 
and I got run over two times in a row. I mean, just so happens that, you know, things happen. Guys are behind me. I couldn't get out of the way. You know what I mean? Of course, I got it before those guys got up uh, <laughs> that ran into me, and I didn't act like anything hurt. But I'm going to tell you, it's, it can be dangerous over there. And so I, I think that – and I don't know what the plan is. I'm sure we'll find out. But it does make sense for them to be up in the booth, but you know, simply because – it can get pretty dangerous down there. You know, there have been other guys with broken legs and all kind of stuff that have happened along the sideline. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they didn't do something along that line and orchestrate it that way. Well, let's finish off. And unfortunately, and Danny, you and I have been in this business a long time. And the good thing and the bad thing about the holidays is, particularly life in the NFL, either you or someone you care about is is probably in jeopardy of losing their job. And obviously next week when we do the coaches show, it'll be Black Monday and there will be some firings then. There'll be some other movement during the course of the week or so that we can address and talk about in very real terms. But let's talk a little bit, get a little bit ahead of the curve as some of these evaluations, the one that comes to mind, uh, Tennessee getting just flattened by the Green Bay Packers and, and the head coach or the owner, Bud Adams, Obviously not very complimentary in, in an interview. He said he likes Mike Munchak. Of course he does. Mike Munchak's been with him for 30 years. But liking somebody and finishing the job are two different things. Let's talk about – I don't want to talk about what coaches could be out. That's not our place. That will happen enough on its own. But the idea that there's also a lot of need for quarterbacks, and I think they're tied together. I think Tennessee is a very typical situation. Do they believe Jake Locker is the guy? And if not, do they need to get into the quarterback derby, whether it be free agency or the draft? And if that's the case, does that affect whether you keep a Mike Munchek or not? Or do you clear the, the decks to gut both a coach and a quarterback as the winning organizations for years now have done? What you want to do is if you need a quarterback, have that coach. That's the first thing he does, just like a John Harbaugh did in Baltimore with Joe Flacco, just like Matt Ryan and uh, Mike Smith in, in uh, Atlanta. Of course, it's got to be the right guy. Rex Ryan did that with the Mark Sanchez and went up to the fifth pick to get him, yet that hasn't turned out well. But just that sequencing of, look, if I need a quarterback, maybe I need a new coach too. You know what? I think that's becoming life in the NFL, and there's two things. One, they're, you know, these quarterbacks are coming out much more prepared now. These guys are doing high school passing camps and seven-on-seven seven leagues and stuff. And so when they come into the league, they they really are ready to go. So it's not surprising that, that these first-year players are doing so well. Uh, did they miss with Locker? Mm, I don't know. I don't know if they missed with him. Who knows if the system's right. He has been. They've had a flip-flop in the system halfway through. Uh, you know, it was a system easy for him to learn. I don't know. He wasn't healthy. I mean, so there are a lot of reasons that to say that Locker is is still deserves more of a chance than he's gotten. But I think it's the same way with Mike Munchak, too. It's only been two years. Um, and, you know, this is a guy, if you hired him, he's your guy. Give him more time, at least three years. I mean, a guy would have at least three years to see if he can improve the organization. Very few guys can turn a program around in two years, so hopefully that's the case. I think I'd say both ways. I think Locker and Mike Munchak both deserve another chance to see if they are the right guys for the job. And I, I would say that doing something with either one of those two or to starting out by saying need a new quarterback, need a new quarterback, need a new coach to go along with it, or saying we need a new coach, and if we get a new coach, and need a new quarterback to go with it, I think both of them are is, is too rash a decision. I would say give those guys another year and see if he, if they can make it work. 
Yeah, there are going to be a lot of different reasons why teams do or don't do what they're going to do. We'll obviously address it next week. But this, as you put the eye forward on it, I think there's something to this as you look at teams organizationally having to decide not just whether they're, they've got the right coach or not, but what, what the quarterback situation is and how that affects it in conjunction with going forward. And there's a number of teams that have to make that decision. I mean, you look obviously at Kansas City. They've got to address the coach-quarterback combination. You look at a team like Buffalo. I think they're in the same situation. I don't know that Fitzpatrick is the answer there. And so does that affect Chan Gailey's uh, future going forward? We've already talked about Mark Sanchez and the New York Jets. Does that? Is Brandon Wheaton the guy in Cleveland? And if he is, do you stay with, uh, with Pat Shermer or do you make that change going forward? You know, obviously in Philadelphia, that's the big $64 question going forward. Do we think Nick Foles is that guy going forward? Certainly in Arizona. And I don't know what Ken Wisenhunt's status is in Arizona, but they're a team that desperately needs a quarterback. And does management want to look at that and say, well, then maybe we want to think of both ends of it. So, uh, yeah, it's part. It's not just a matter anymore of, of, geez, we have the right guy and what do we want to do? The quarterback, since this is a quarterback-driven league, is certainly a part of it, and I think we're going to see that that has a lot to do with these decisions going forward. That's going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast. You can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes or go to nfl.com slash podcast. You can also be sure to catch Denny and I on the Coaches Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everyone.